morning. There we go. Um, how do I say this? My name's Mark, and I get to open for you today. So, Luke is in uh, Central District. Um, I think our John and Helen are there also. Is that right? I think so. I believe so. And, and so we've got a service with, excuse me, with Jason here this morning. Gets to. So we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to a good morning. A um, couple announcements. College care, practice, uh, care packages are due tomorrow. And probably get a hold of the church office if you need any questions asked, but there is a sign-up thing for that somewhere. Christmas decorating, November 20, 5 p.m. So anybody wants to decorate for Christmas can show up then. Um, that's about all I got before... Earlier this morning, Becca was asking questions, what is Harvest Mission? So, and there might be some of you here, too, that don't know what Harvest Mission Festival is, and we're going to try to answer some of that. When I was growing up, it was, my mom was always very excited about Harvest Mission growing up. That was a big deal. For me, it was another, it was two services. It was a long day of a missionary. Well, I have to rethink that. I did, and, uh, but we need to look at a little different. So, Becca... Yeah, so I've been here for a couple of years, but I don't have the rich history that much of you guys have. So I have some questions for you. What is the history of the Harvest Missions Festival? Okay, well, I'm not a very good one to answer that because there's many in here would know a lot more history about that. But because, um, but it is a celebration of what God has done for us in the harvest, and we are very close to the harvest. Many, a few in here may not quite understand that because some kind of removed from agriculture. We're not. We have, we're pretty close to it yet with, you know, there's, there's landlords, there's many of you grew up on a farm. All of us that belong to this church way back probably grew up on a farm, even if we didn't farm. So we understand the harvest, but it's a celebration. Um, so what we do, uh, Psalm 67.6, the land yields its harvest, God, our God, blesses us. So it's a blessing, and a, and a direct quote from someone in this church said the life of this community is sustained very directly by the creative work of God. So we celebrate the harvest. Awesome. Um, so how can I be a part of this? Harvest Mission oh. Festival. <laughs> You're, I was just thinking, what could I make her do? Uh, um, well, Another verse for that is Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your crops. And uh, we need to think about stewardship of the harvest. And that would, yeah, it's money, but uh, that's what we can offer to God is the, the first, our offering, our, uh, our money, yes. First offering we're going to have in the morning is our regular budget offering the one we have every Sunday. And it takes money to run this place. Uh, the second one, which will be during the banquet and the sharing time, will be uh, a special offering more for the, our conference ministries, uh, which involves church plantings, Mission USA, and uh, missionaries who are, uh, we're going to have a couple of them here. And uh, Tabor College, I can put a plug in for that because I, I work on that a little bit. And there's a lot of good things going on there. Tabor is, is really holding the line, bringing, uh, um, teaching kids to be believers, to be Christians in this world. But uh, those are, that's what the offering goes for. And we're going to have uh, Kenton and Kedron Miller here, uh, also for the, the Ragas. Uh, Jason Nicole gets some money, you know, maybe not directly, but through Mission USA. And, and they, you know, so we, we support a lot of this. And, and here's where I turn it over to Millers, who she's very familiar with. Awesome. And um, Mark did not mention this, but I think that there's going to be a pretty stellar meal served next Sunday after the service. Um, yeah, so we talked briefly about how Harvest Missions um, supports some of missionaries here locally that are doing work in our, in our church here um, in Utah and also internationally. And Carla and I had the opportunity to visit some missionaries this 
past summer in Germany, and they are going to be here with us um, doing, um, joining us for the service on Sunday and um, chatting afterwards. And so Kitten and Kedron have sent us a little video um, to, yeah, just help us to get a better grasp of what they're doing in Germany. And so we hope you enjoy and build some excitement and welcome them here next weekend. Great. Well, everyone is welcome. Make sure you come. And uh, we'll just start this with a prayer. Father, we just uh, come to you this morning and we want to celebrate the morning uh, being here and, and worshiping you. We look forward to the celebration next weekend and may we honor you with it. Amen. Hi, my name is Kenton Miller and this is my wife, Kedron. We're looking forward to coming out your way next week to Henderson along with our two kids, Mira and Mateo, to share at your Harvest Missions Festival. We've been in Berlin, Germany the last couple of years, and we just want to say thank you for your support, for walking with us. It's been a joy to be back in the Midwest, and we anticipate sharing stories of God at work in Berlin with you, and we're just so grateful to fellowship together. See you then. Good morning. Jeremiah 10, verses 6 to 7 says, No one is like you, Lord. You are great and renowned and mighty in power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? This is your doing among all the wise leaders of the nations, and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. Please stand and sing our song.
contemplate as we go before us and we stand beside us, we know you are a faithful God. You never let us down, and you never will. You never promised to leave without pain and sorrow, but you did promise you were always there. May we look to you first in every circumstance. May you be the first thought we think of each day. In your holy name, amen. seated. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, this morning, just want to come before you. I just want to thank you so much for this day and just thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Lord, you've blessed us in so many ways and I just want to thank you. God, I just want to thank you for our missionaries. Um, you placed it on the hearts of different ones to go away and serve you in other areas. Um, just want to think of Jennifer Goosen. Just thank you that she's here with us this morning. And thank you for what you've been doing in, in her life and in her, her ministry, Lord. Just continue, continue to guide her and guide her in her relationships and give her the strength that she needs and the wisdom she needs, Lord. God, I also just pray for the Millers. Just continue to, to watch over them, keep them safe, guide them as they travel. Um, 
prepare them as they come here to speak with us next weekend and to give them the words that you want us to hear, Lord. Think also of the Ragas. Continue to guide them in their ministry. Continue to guide them as they build relationships also in their community and and seek to make a difference there as well. Also think of the Queerings. Uh, Pray for Jason and Cole and Carter and Colson and Ian and Tatum. Think of uh, Drew and Allie and Logan as they uh, minister in, in Utah there, Lord. Think also of Pastor Luke and Joanne as they're uh, away from us this morning. Continue to guide them, continue to work in their lives, and uh, just bring them back home safely as well. Lord, again, just thank you so much for the many blessings you've given us, and uh, just help us to be good stewards of that. Amen. Well, some might say that Jason doesn't need an introduction. I'm here to introduce Jason this morning. So he does need an introduction. Um, Jason Quaring grew up here in Henderson. Um, spent some time at college. Was a youth minister someplace or in, in Oklahoma, someplace. They went to uh, uh, Utah, served there for four years as a youth pastor, and uh, they moved back here for a few years, and then they went back to Utah. And I'll let Jason share a little bit more about that. But uh, he's a church planner there in Saratoga Springs, close to uh, uh, Salt Lake City. And he serves there with his wife, Nicole, and their four kids, 
Ian, Carter, and Colson, and Tatum. And uh, they also serve there with Drew and, Drew and Allie Pankritz, which have ties to this church as well, and also Logan, um, help me out, Whitney. Okay. But yeah, so Jace will share some more, but uh, I'll just pray for you right now too. God, I come before you this morning. Just want to thank you so much for Jason and uh, all those who are doing your work there in uh, Saratoga Springs. Just continue to bless them, Lord, and uh, just give Jason the words to, to share with us this morning. And um, Yeah, I just thank you that he could be here with us. Amen. Thank uh, you. I was, well, Luke, uh, with the remaining time left, uh, Luke uh, asked me to fill in for him while he's at, uh, at the, the Central District conference. And so I thought, sure, what do you want me to share about? And he goes, well, we've been talking about missions and living missionally. And I said, well, I have a few thoughts on that. <laughs> uh, it's kind of what we're doing. And, and so I started thinking, okay, what, what has God really been laying on my heart lately about living on mission? And how do I narrow that down? And it was really cool because actually we this fall have been taking a page out of Henderson MB's playbook. And we, the group that came out this summer um, for uh, our summer Bible adventure, which, by the way, please keep sending groups because that is a highlight of our year. I love to come and help my family with harvest, kind of like I, I you know, probably some of you love to come and help us with harvest. And so, so it was just fantastic to see the investment in, in salvation. And, uh, um, but anyhow, uh, so... So yeah, so it was just really, really uh, cool to see those kind of conversations start from there. So anyhow, where was I? Back to Henderson coming out um, and helping with um, with Summer Bible Adventure. Um, we heard this group talk and talk and talk about the discipleship series that, that, that you guys were going through. And I started talking with Luke. I called up Luke after the, after the group left. I said, dude, tell me about this discipleship series. And so he sent me the resources, and I was like, we have to do that this fall. And so we've been going through the discipleship um, series and looking at all the disciples, and it's been really, really amazing. And so uh, two weeks ago, we actually were talking about Nathaniel. And, and I thought what, we talk, what, what Nathaniel's life tells really applies to what it means to live missionally. And so hopefully either one, you've forgotten about it, or two, I bring enough different slant from what Luke to where you're not going to be saying, oh, this is the same sermon all over again. But, but this morning I want to look at Nathaniel. You know, we all have happy places, right? We have those places where we feel like we can kind of get away from the hustle and bustle. We can kind of clear our mind and just be. And it's through that time where all of a sudden we start to think more clearly, more creatively. We start to really to problem solve better. Um, for some of us, it might be um, uh, riding a bicycle or, or running or um, at your kitchen table over a cup of coffee or um, sitting in the tractor or, um, you know, just walking through the park. Uh, one of my happy places this year, we have, uh, we've tried to, to take up the hammock life. And the hammock is an interesting thing, right? I mean, you're basically sitting in a taco. And, and you look at it, and I think, that, that can't be comfortable. And all you do is you sit between two trees, and you just swing back and forth. And, and it's funny because Utah is all... And, and it's just a craze of, of the hammock life right now. And, and I was talking with this guy that I bought my hammock from, and he was saying, man, I love, I'll, I'll climb up into a 70-foot tree, and I'll get right up about there 50 feet, and I'll just string my line between there, and I'll just hop in my hammock, and it's just this peaceful experience up there. And I'm like, okay, that, the, the, the 50 feet in the air thing kind of takes away from the peaceful part, but, but I might try it at like three feet, you know. And... Uh, and so we haven't been able to do a ton, but it was great to where when we had our church camp out this summer, we actually had like four or five hammocks set up. And when we finally could kick the kids out of them and able to swing in them a little bit, I was like, yeah, this is nice. Because the whole point of a hammock is that it flies in the face of the addicted to hurry culture in which we live. Think about it. 
more, faster, bigger, better, stronger, more shiny, more this, more that. And in the meantime, we get more and more and more exhausted. Less and less and less focused. The idea of purpose and vision and focus go out the window because we're so busy trying to keep up with the latest thing, we essentially become useless. All we can do is spin in circles. And then at the end of the day, we just say, what did I really do? And the idea of hammock is that your objective for your time in that hammock is to do this. Swing this way. And then swing back. And then swing this way. And then swing back. And if you want to get really creative, stick a leg out. Dangle it over the side. Swing this way. And that. And it's, it, it, the whole idea is that it flies in the face of the addicted-to-hurry culture. I think we're losing that. I was reflecting the other day because I was sharing at Stockham uh, Community Church, and, 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 it, and it took me back to Charlie Hunenfeld. Does any of you guys remember Charlie Hunenfeld? And, and when I was an elementary school kid, he would take us out to the CRC grounds, and, and, and we would go on nature walks with Charlie. And he would have us pick a blade of brome, and he would, you know, extrapolate for like like ten minutes on that blade of brome. And then we would go and we'd we'd tape it into our little journals, and then we would go to another, and then he would pick off a leaf off of a cottonwood tree. And you see how it's starting to turn yellow, and blah 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 blah. And we would go on these long nature walks, and and like walking with Charlie was like a half hour hammock session. I think we're losing that. Well, this morning I want to look at a disciple that I think had the hammock life down. If you turn with me in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, starting in verse 43. We're going to read through 43 to 51. Jesus calls Philip and Nathanael. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know? How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I know I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Somehow that vision that Jesus had got Nathanael's attention. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's so much going on in this passage, um, but we're going to really focus it down to two things. The fig tree and the mission field. The fig tree was an interesting part of that culture. The, the houses were a one-room ordeal made out of basically clay, stucco, whatever. Not a lot of windows, not a lot of ventilation. And on that day, you didn't just, hey, it's lunchtime, I'd better pop something in the microwave. 30 seconds later, you know, pop it back out. Um, everything was cooked over fires. And so because you had three or four or whatever meals a day, you didn't want to keep on... St- starting a fire from scratch all the time. And so you just kept your fire burning, your cooking fire burning all day long. And so that meant all day long in this dark, dingy dirt hut, you had a fire cooking. Now, this is in the ancient Near East where it was quite hot. And so the idea, if you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen was a thing back then, right? It, it was hot, it was, it was smelly, it was smoky, it was not a pleasant place. And so what did people do? They went outside. Well, if you're outside, the sun is beating down on you. And it's not much better than inside, it's just brighter. 
And so what do they do? They planted fig trees around their house. Why fig trees? Fig trees in that area didn't get very tall, but they got very wide. Um, One resource I was studying said they would get about 15 feet wide, but 25 to 35 feet wide. And so it basically creates this amazing canopy right outside the house that you could go out and you could relax. Well, in that culture, Jesus says, you are a true Israelite. Okay? So basically, to be a good Jewish person meant that you were outside, underneath your shade tree, enjoying God's respite for the day, reading your scriptures, talking to God through prayer, studying, learning, growing. So to be under the fig tree equaled to know God. Kind of an interesting concept. It wasn't out working hard in the fields and things like that. It was kind of like, you know God because you're sitting under the fig tree practicing the presence of God. Then Jesus takes it even further and he says, you are a true Israelite. Well, Israel comes from the Old Testament character Jacob. Jacob was renamed Israel because you have struggled with God. You have wrestled with God. And so Jesus is looking at Nathanael saying, you're just like Jacob. You have struggled with God your entire life underneath that fig tree through studying scriptures and saying, well, that part is amazing. Or, you know what, that part is really confusing and I don't quite understand it. Or that part, man, why was David so manic? You know, I mean, why why he was really wrestling with God under that tree and then he would just talk to God and he would listen. And so Jesus looks at Nathanael and he says, you have struggled with God, therefore you know him. What a counterintuitive picture, right? We think to know God means this. We think to know God means to go to a Bible class or a Bible school or, or, or go to a conference. But actually, what, to know God is, is really at your kitchen table or in your room, or on your own, to wrestle with God, to, to dig into the scriptures, and then to just talk with the God who wants to be known. That is what it means to know God, is to struggle with Him. I mean, this is so funny because Nathaniel, he, he almost messes it up before a good thing even gets going with his comment, Nazareth? Are you serious? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Okay? Nathaniel brings his unchecked prejudices to Jesus. He doesn't hide them. Why? Because he's used to wrestling. I think this, and so I'm not going to hide it from this guy because he's right here and I'm going to share it with him. And Jesus confronts him on it. And it's kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, think about it. Nathaniel almost missed out on the greatest day of his life and the biggest moments of history because of a silly small town rivalry. It's kind of like if two little small towns were, were kind of bickering back and forth. Well, well, we're, at least we're not Henderson. Well, we're better than you, Sutton, or whatever. You know, it's sort of like nothing good could ever come from Sutton. Well, you know, I mean, it, it's just kind of goofy how, how Nathaniel almost missed out on the most amazing thing of his life because of a silly little prejudice towards another small town. And so, but but the cool thing is Nathaniel takes that to Jesus, wrestles with it, and then he says, oh, okay, now I've learned. I mean, think about, think about um, this whole wrestling thing, this whole struggling thing. Think about people who have been married for years and years and years. And even after 40, 50, 60 years, they still passionately love each other. Is it because they had 60 years of no conflict, no turmoil, no hardships, nothing? It was just like easy peasy, lemon squeezy for for all those years? No. They struggled. They just learned how to struggle really well. And because of that struggle, they became inseparable. It's the same picture with Nathaniel and God. He says, you know God because you have struggled with him. I think sometimes we're so quick 
to vanillaize this whole faith thing. Where God exists to take away the discomfort. Where the Bible is only meant to read to comfort us. I remember reading something that said the gospel should be more disruptive than comforting. And I'm kind of like, oh. But it's that disruption that actually draws us closer to God. And Nathaniel practiced that. He was grounded in his relationship with God because he wrestled with God and he struggled with God and he surrendered to God under that fig tree. That is where living missionally starts. It's an internal battle. If we don't take those things to God, then we're just playing games. We're just playing pretend. We're just trying to be something that we're not. It's kind of like going on dates for, for some of us. That's been a long time ago when we kind of met somebody that we liked. And, and the whole dating game is just hilarious because it's kind of like, I'm going to be who I think that person wants to be or wants me to be. Instead of being myself, we, we, we try to be what we think the other person wants us to be. In all actuality, we just need to be ourselves. And allow ourselves to be changed and grown through that experience. The same thing is true with our relationship with God. We need to be real and vulnerable and authentic with God. And surrender all that we are to Him. So that is under the fig tree. But it doesn't stop there. It goes out into the mission field. There's almost this twist of humor where where Jesus says... I know who you are. You're a true Israelite because I saw you before I ever got to you sitting underneath a fig tree. And, and, uh, and Nathaniel's kind of like, what? How did you see me under there? And, and you almost can, I, I, I wish there was like a little italicized comment at the bottom of the page that says, and Jesus laughed at him and said, who did you think you were talking to while you were praying to God? Right? I mean, sometimes we're, we're, so, we're so caught up in going through the conversation in our mind when we say that we're praying that maybe God's sitting saying, I'm over here. I'm right here with you. And I'm ready to do something. Are you? And, and I just have to think that Jesus was, was kind of chuckling a little bit when he was saying this. Because he says, who do you think you're wrestling with all those years? It's me. I am the presence of God. He, he goes again back to Jacob from the Old Testament, where Jace, Jacob, who wrestled with God, also had this, this vision, this dream of the heavens opening up and the angels of God, the presence of God coming down and up and down and up between heaven and earth. And Jacob uh, stuck a stack of rocks there. And I wish you'd have named it Tabor, uh, but he named it Bethel. I mean, seriously. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Um, Bethel means, I see in college, we at the Tabor Bethel games, we had Amos 4.4, go to Bethel and sin. It was my Old Testament prof that instigated us to do that, right? Just kidding. No, Bethel means house of God. The place where God's presence was coming between heaven and earth was named the house of God. And what is Jesus saying years later? You are going to see the presence of God come up and down from me. I am the house of God. It's incredible to think that Jesus is standing in front of a guy who has been talking to God all of his life, waiting, Messiah, when are you coming? Savior, when are you going to come and save us? Emmanuel, when are you, when are you going to come? And here Jesus reveals himself through a biblical scriptural metaphor because that's what connects with Nathaniel because that's who he's been studying. He says, you've been waiting for me. I am the house of God. I love this promise that God gave Jacob back in Genesis 28, verse 14 through 15. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What an amazing promise. Jesus is standing in front of Nathaniel saying, you are going to see things that you can even imagine. You are going to be at the epicenter of a movement so great the world has never nor will ever see anything quite like it again. 
Nathaniel spent his time under the fig tree, but he didn't stay there. That whole time meant he was getting ready to go. It didn't just stop there. When the call to action hit him in the face, he didn't just say, ouch, leave me alone. He said, I'm in. I'm in. Now, we don't know a lot about Nathaniel after this moment. We know that he was included in the rest of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And then tradition and history uh, uh, um, sources tell us that Nathaniel, and there's some debate if Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same, but I think a lot of them point to that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same because Nathaniel is Hebrew and, and Bartholomew is Greek, and a lot of times they'd have the two names and stuff like that. And um, But the two really seem to line up together. And so... Um, so if you look at that history, he went on this incredible missionary journey that took him from, um, it went through, it took him through um, Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Russia, and India. Which would basically be the equivalent of saying, oh, the, the Millers, they, oh, they're missionaries on Mars. I mean, he went way across the world of that day to do missionary work. Unfortunately, um, after a year or two of incredible ministry there, um, legend has it that, that he actually got in with some of the local government because, because the, the, the leader's daughter was just crazy and, and she would bite people. And, and so what they did was they locked her up in a cage and this poor, this poor leader was like, I love my daughter, but she's crazy and she bites people whenever we let her out of her cage. And so here comes, here comes Bartholomew Matthew and says, well, hey, just open up the gate. I want to talk with her. And they're like, no, we don't want to do that. She'll eat you. And he goes, no, 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 just open the gate. And so they open the gate. She comes out. He heals her. And it gains him acceptance into that region of India for about a year or two of incredible, incredible ministry. So much so that hundreds of years later, there was still a pocket of Christianity that, that carried his, his, his name. What he did was he took the letter from Matthew, who is an eyewitness account to Jesus, and he said the gospel of Matthew is what he took into the mission field with him. That's how he introduced people to Jesus. Well, it got enough attention to where the leader who was above that leader was not a big fan. And so not all missionary journeys are a happy ending. He was actually flayed or skinned alive and then either beheaded or, or crucified, depending on which source you look at. He was one of the most amazing missionaries that paid the ultimate price for the spread of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Do you think sometimes he would have thought, man, it was a lot easier hanging out underneath that fig tree? Maybe. But as he as many other disciples spent their last moments, he used it to spread the love of Jesus. So my question this morning is this. What kind of fig trees do we have? What kind of fig trees do we have where, where God's most amazing promise, one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, um, I say that a lot, but... <coughs> excuse me, is Psalm 46.10, where, where this passage just resonates deeply within our minds and our hearts, where God simply looks us in the eye and he just takes our face and he says, be still and know that I am God. Just be still and know that I'm God. That's all you need to focus on right now. Do we have those, those hammock times, those happy places, those, those times of fig tree moments where, where that's all we need to know? That, that God is in control of, of all the chaos that's going on around us. Do we have those moments of peace and surrender with God saying, you know what, I'm yours, do whatever you want. And then we're at peace. Do we take the time to slow down and ground ourselves through scripture and prayer and just contemplation? I love the word contemplation, and it really hit me hard because I struggle with this. 
I don't know if I'm just not genetically disposed to contemplation or, or what, but, but it, it, it's, it's hard. But contemplation is this. It is a place reserved. It's a place cut out. It's a place cleared off in front of an altar. That is contemplation. It's basically saying, God, I'm going to create this space in front of the altar, and then I'm going to kneel before you and let you do your thing. This is your time, God. I'm just in the room. Do we have those moments? But do we also see after those times where God is saying, okay, now let's go do something. Now let's go do something. Living missionally is getting ready so that we can go. And sometimes, yeah, that might be doing something crazy like loading up a U-Haul and taking your family or, or, or selling all your possessions and going overseas. Or I was just talking with uh, uh, Eugene and Wynette Cleaver the other day. We, we just had a really fun uh, email conversation going on in it. And it reminded me of, of when I was a little kid in these pews, I would oh, the Panama people are here, you know, and, and Eugene would come in with his Panama shirt and, and, and they would set up the projector over here and they, you know, just, just such really fun memories of this crazy Cleaver family that, that packed up everything and went to Panama in the jungles. It's so exotic, so intriguing. You know, is God calling some of you to do something like that? But if you're saying, no, you're still not off the hook. Because sometimes God calls you to go across the room, go across the road, go across.